0: Welcome to Remainders, the podcast dedicated to exploring the wonder and joy that is the movies, the old, the new, the remembered and the forgotten. Joining me is our co-host, who is currently binging every Texas Chainsaw Massacre film in order Patrick McIntyre. Great to be back with you, Pat, on yet another very, very warm day here in Los Angeles. I'm happy to announce that since we last spoke, I have survived the double feature of a hurricane and an earthquake. So how have things been going for you?
1: Uh, Besides a nice little heat wave here in Chicago, uh, 48 hours of uh, insane heat, uh, it's been pretty chill. Yeah, nothing uh, as extreme as your LA uh, shenanigans. So So I'm I'm grateful uh, that you're safe and okay, but also that I didn't have to deal with it. So
0: Well, how apropos that we're covering a film today called The Big Heat. So if it's okay with you, I'm going to go ahead and go into a little synopsis for everybody so that they know uh, what we're diving into, and um, I'm pretty excited to talk about it.
1: Oh, man. I'm so happy that you chose this because this is uh, this was a blind spot for me. I had never seen this movie before. I definitely I was well aware of its notoriety in old school Hollywood. And uh, I'm happy we can keep this Glenn Ford train going because he's definitely become one of my favorites.
0: Yeah, me too. So <laughs> things are changing in this country, Vince. A man who can't see that hasn't got eyes. Never get the people steamed up. They start doing things. Grand juries election investigations, deportation proceedings. That's one of my favorite lines ever from a movie. And I mean, seriously, let's see AI write that shit. You know what I mean? (laughs) So The Big Heat from 1953, a film noir masterpiece of the highest caliber from a director who did it all. Fritz Lang. We previously discussed Lang's filmography and career when we covered Metropolis and M. So if you're out there and you missed those episodes, they're both available to listen and view in our back catalog. The Big Heat stars a recently discussed actor, Glenn Ford, as Patrick just mentioned. We just saw him in uh, Gilda. We covered Gilda, which was a great film, uh, also starring Rita Hayworth. But this film introduces Gloria Graham. And we haven't talked about her much on this podcast. She is my personal favorite femme fatale. This film also gives us one of the most, I feel, underappreciated bad guy roles in cinema history in Vince Stone. A great foil to Glenn Ford's Dave Banyan, performed with ease and sleaze by Lee Marvin. The Big Heat has all the classic film noir stuff we love. Dirty cops, a hard-boiled lead punching his way through his vendetta, a crime syndicate dancing with the police department, and the beautiful blonde with the quick wit, keen fashion, charm, and of course, a purse exploding with cigarettes. The story follows Dave Banyan, a homicide detective, played by Glenn Ford as the hard-boiled cop with a soft side at home. His perfect home life gets turned upside down as he maneuvers through crooked cops and an overwhelmingly long list of crime bosses and hooligans to try and discover some answers behind the recent suicide of a fellow officer. With a will that won't let up, Banyan finds himself immersed in trouble from every angle, but that only fuels his fire. So, Patrick, I really hope you don't have any hot coffee close by, because let's face it, this one is a scolding hot film noir.
1: <laughs> well, thank you for that uh killer fucking intro for this movie. Uh you're definitely setting everybody up. If I hadn't seen this uh at this point, I would be rushing to go see the right now. Um, <laughs> That's
0: the hope, right? <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh man. Okay, so a lot to get into. Um but yes, at first, I mean, so I loved it. Uh this is and there's one major reason uh that I'll get into after um maybe you discuss a little bit like what uh What your experience with this movie was, but um, this definitely was unlike a lot of the older Hollywood noirs that I've uh, watched in the past, and um, I just wanted to know how so. It feels like a hangout movie, Uh, and that's precise. It's one of my favorite vibes a movie can give. You know, when it's more about the characters rather than a uh, specific plot that you're trying to figure out. I mean, this movie is a little plotty, but it's way more uh, focused on the characters and getting to know the characters. I mean, in the first, like, 10 or 15 minutes, you basically know who's the good guy and at least who's shady. Like, you basically know, like, who the bad guys are and some people may be kind of on the fence. But, you know, Banyan is legit, largely because of uh, the scenes with his wife and his family and everybody else is pretty much set up as the bad guy. So there's not really a lot of like surprise turns, but once that's is set up, it's like an hour and a half of literally just hanging out with these characters and Banyan doing his stuff. And even though it's um Ebert has some a good a uh, good take on this that we can get into later. But uh he's doing what he thinks is right. And it's all the characters they're so unique. They're so um well fleshed out, uh especially uh Debbie uh played by gloria graham um so just hanging out with these characters for an hour and a half was uh absolutely delightful like again it's a, it's a movie i guarantee i'll watch more than uh, a lot of other older uh movies that are just more focused on the plot uh because these characters i know like i would like to revisit uh, again and again
0: yeah it's kind of interesting as you say you know I don't know an an actress like Gloria Graham doesn't really get into I mean she does at the beginning just so you can kind of see her but yeah. her like role is pretty big in this film however you don't really get her involved until like I would say like the last fourth
1: of the movie no, um yeah. and that she's she played, played as dumb at the beginning this is like, yeah. just kind of like the dumb floozy like I had no idea that she was going to become like the major player in the movie so
0: but that's what the great thing is about so many femme fatales in these film noirs you know they you like you you, you uh, let your guard down with them at any point, and they're going to come back and 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 bite you. You know, what I mean, and that's like such a great. Um, that's like one of the best things about film noirs to me is like these these really um, don't underestimate female character leads.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, she's way the character is like way more sympathetic of a femme fatale than like most mm-hmm. others, I would say. Because I mean, it's like, she, I mean, unless I was totally missing something, she didn't do anything that was like overtly duplicitous or heinous i mean she does you know commit murder at the end but um and i'm maybe you can flesh out the details of the implications of that one but um her character again is like somebody who wants to do good like yeah and that's an interesting
0: difference you're right um that's a good point because most femme fatales you know you're not seeing any kind of good side of them at all and that's (laughs) the difference here in the glory Graham character but she also there's a movie and I always I brought this up last time when we were talking about her um and I, I still can't remember the name but I saw it when Criterion did their Fox Noir um kind of uh I don't know there was like 10 movies in there or something and one of them was a movie with Glenn Ford again I would love to cover on this um I forget the film's name but anyway she is totally diabolical in that film and so kick-ass and it's, it's probably my favorite performance of hers um I only had seen that film once with, with this film This is my, I think my third time seeing it. So the first time I saw it, I saw it on TCM where they had done, like they had this um, segment called Noir Alley hosted by a guy named Eddie Muller. I'm not sure if you're familiar, Um, but so I saw it there first. um, I don't know, four or five years ago. And then in 2020, I watched this again and it's, I'm telling you, it's so crazy to see when you watch these films, like, you know, you are watching a movie from 1953 and then you get to see, where's the world now you know and in 2020 i'm like literally out my back window i'm watching people ride on the streets you know there's uh cop corruption there's all these different things that are the same themes that are in this film uh playing out in the world and that's why i started my um synopsis with that quote it's like i saw that quote in 2020 i thought like this is this is exactly it you know people get pissed off and they rise to the top
1: yeah and that's, uh, that is a recurrent thing in the movie. I mean, it's, it's, uh, Banyan is the driving force trying to, he keeps on going into, uh, the investigation against everybody's word. Uh, each time he, he goes in a little bit further, he plays with fire just a little bit more and it keeps on bubbling to the top. And, um, that's kind of what I was mentioning. Like Ebert had a good take on this is that he, um, um, does he ever take responsibility for his actions truly um, and the results of it? So this is the quote that he says, does it ever occur to Banyan that he is at least partly responsible for the deaths of the women? No, apparently it does not uh, matter. And that's one reason why the film is so insidiously chilling. He continues on his mission oblivious to its cost. Oh, he's right. Of course that Lagana and stone are vermin, but tell that to the women he obliviously sends into harm's way. And so it's, it, it it's he gets into the fritz's uh fritz lane's um uh as he calls it moral ambidex uh, ambidexterity uh lane tells a story of a heroic cop while using it to mask another much darker more sinister story which is that of whether or not banyan's actually taking responsibilities for his actions and and the death that it causes
0: i recently watched uh the untouchables you know for like the 80th time oh it's so good yeah uh, my girlfriend had not seen it so it was awesome to watch it with her but um those there's beginning guess,
1: notes with uh, with the score. I mean, you just know you're in good hands within the first five seconds. And of that movie. like
0: the title sequence, yeah, we we can go on. We got to cover that, of course. Right. But um, there's a similar theme, sort of, with the Elliot Ness character. Like he knows when he enters this world, his family's going to be at risk, so he sends him away and everything. And, and it's a it's a big cost. So that's kind of an interesting review from. Ebert, because in this film, you don't see that uh, Dave Banyan character really understanding fully the implications of him continuing to push on, push on, push on uh, in the face of all of these people who are like, hey, you better be careful. They, they're constantly warning him. And, you know, he he's so, that's what I mean about hard-boiled. That's like, you know, you're not, you can't get through that shit. It's not um, runny. And the issue of what happened, I mean... His, uh, f- this is going to be a spoiler. Again, sorry for anybody who hasn't seen this movie from 1953. But we want to just let you know we're going to have spoilers here. <laughs> um, uh, it's
1: fucking 75 years old. We could yeah. do spoilers. Sir.
0: Yeah, and but but, uh, but I mean, this is such a big key moment. Is and it's shocking, even for you know. Sometimes movies from 1953 or something like that. You know, you're not you're not. Sometimes they're not set up the way that new modern movies are for you to really um, feel it the same way. It's it's oh, not at all. Yeah, that's why it's sometimes
1: hard for me to connect to some old movies,
0: yeah. Yeah, 100%. but, But, you know, Fritz Lang directing this, of course, too, helps. Um, but anyway, the way that Dave Bannion's wife finally, uh, you know, they're 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 setting it up so amazing, where they're having the steak dinner together, and they really truly have this like little daughter. They're really mu- they're very much in love, and they're pretty much like newlyweds. You know, they've got their first house. It looks like you know he comes home, and he he only drinks like a little bit of drink, but then she'll drink a little bit of it, and and then you know she'll smoke his cigarette. It's kind of like these little moments matter because as soon as she goes out into the car and she decides she's going to leave and she's going to, she'll be right back. But of course she's not never coming back. That explosion, it like sends shockwaves through your body. As soon as you realize they fucking killed her. Like you, you're not really expecting that in this film, you know, like, will it, it, that it's really going to happen. And of course, that's the powder keg that sets off Dave Banyan even more as we go through the movie.
1: Were they trying to get him or her? him I we're believe trying him. to get him wasn't, like, They wasn't like a message like sending it to his you know to harm his wife they were actually trying to get him and I, they were I just fucked it up
0: i think it's up to the viewer i mean honestly i think it doesn't really matter right like at the same time you think about the scene in casino right like that was for sure they wanted to get de niro you know yeah, yeah. but that was pretty obvious that um De Niro had to go in that film. And here, I don't think it's necessarily matters. It's like, these guys are criminals and they just want to send a message. So whether it's him who dies, which is ends their trouble or it's his wife, they think that's going to stop Dave Banyan either way. And uh, of course, when the wife dies, it only, like you said, stoked the flames even more for him.
1: Yeah. Um, short tangents, uh, the best Barbie meme I saw when everybody was dressing up pink to go see Barbie was, uh, uh, De Niro's salmon uh, uh, suit that he's wearing <laughs> in, oh, that,
0: God. in that
1: scene. I think that's the one he's wearing when he gets in the car. It's like this this pink salmon suit that looks awesome but it's just the perfect, like, on my way to go see Barbie in this suit. <laughs>
0: Nobody dressed better than De Niro in that fucking movie. Oh man. my, dude,
1: the amount of suits that he wears that are impeccable in that. Uh, I mean, that's half of a character right there. So. Um, totally. Okay, yeah, back to Ben. Um, yeah, so that's that's the thing. It's like that's what like Ebert was pointing out. It's like, he's not really, uh, at least you're not really seeing him grapple with um, his, uh, him being culpable without everybody, uh, all the women around him being uh, in harm's way. And that's Yeah.
0: That's an interesting point that actually I didn't think about. I should have read the Ebert review. Um, Cause yeah, he's obviously his dedication to not stopping is causing problems for everybody else in his orbit. And that's the point. Um, what do you think? I like, think of, oh, sorry, I like
1: uh, that the idea that the, um, uh, that the big bads, they didn't get it right, that they were trying to get him. They fucked it up and got her. And again, that just adds to the depth of these characters. Like I said, like it's pretty set up. Like who's good, who's bad in this movie at first. And you have that uh, moral ambiguity, like I mentioned, but like, again, it's like, it is, way more of a hangout movie than anything uh pre-1970s because it's so much about just uh giving depth to all the characters, including the bad guys. And that's what yeah. that's what I love about it. Because they have so many small, nuanced scenes where it's like it would seem like throwaway dialogue, but that's precisely what you know a hangout movie is. It's just literally spending time with the characters because they're characters you want to uh watch, regardless of what the plot is happening.
0: Yeah. And I mean the crux of it is like what happens when a character doesn't stop what's going to happen you know to all the rest of the people like we just talked about in his orbit and to him and that's interesting enough for us to continue watching because you know you finally you did set up the character really well at the beginning with his home life even the um choice to show that empty house as he moves out you know after he's told to give his gun you know you're off the police force we warned you um, he goes in there and realizes everybody is in on this whole thing with the crime um, the syndicate, and he's like, I, "Okay, I gotta, I'm, 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 re- I'm done with cop- being a cop. I'm going on my own. I'm going rogue." And he's in his house, empty, where there used to be all these beautiful memories. And as soon as they show that scene, I'm like, "Oh fuck! Like, here we go," you know?
1: No, uh, it's Brando's wife or Brando's sister. Is the actress that plays his wife?
0: I saw the last name of Brando. I didn't realize yeah. that was a sister. Uh is it Jocelyn
1: or something? Jocelyn Brando, yeah. That's uh my Brando's sister, the actress uh plays Bang's wife. She had a, a very like she looked so familiar. I don't know if I had seen her and stuff. Yeah she was in Mommy Dearest in eighty one. Uh but nothing that I was really recognizing, but she just had a um recognizable face. Oh shit, wait a minute. No, I'm looking at her IMDb right now. She's in Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, which is an awesome TV movie, uh, a horror uh, film about a killer scarecrow. Um, it's actually on Shudder right now. so
0: <laughs> okay, just well, I'm going to have to watch that.
1: Yeah. They, uh, Joe Bob, uh, the last driving, actually just covered this one. So. Uh, but that was in 81. So I, that's probably why I didn't recognize her. But maybe she looks familiar because of that. So uh, but yeah, Brando's sister, so.
0: Very cool. Good. Yeah. I did not know that there's a little movie trivia for you out there. Brando is in this film. And, um, yeah, I mean, this film introduces us to a lot of characters. Like you said, it's a hangout movie. I like that. I didn't really think of that either, but there's, you get to hang out with a lot of interesting characters. So what did you think of the character that Lee Marvin played?
1: Okay. So yeah, that's the thing. It's like, I, I remember seeing his name, uh, before watching the movie and, um, not really thinking like not realizing uh Stone was Lee Marvin. Um I once I realized he was because I'd only seen him in like dirty dozen, I think. Um and I'm not even sure like what else. Like
0: I mean he's pretty young in this film.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. He didn't I didn't quite recognize him because of that. I mean I've never seen Cat Baloo. I know that's one of his more popular ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean to me Lee Marvin is I really mostly just know him from the throwaway line from uh Mr. Blonde in uh Reservoir guys I mean, When after he's fighting Mr. White um when they settle down, he's like, I bet you're a big Lee Marvin fan. So <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. For me, that's always just been the touchstone of like, well, Lee Marvin is uh some badass uh a
0: tough guy, yeah.
1: Um, tough guy from the forties and fifties that I haven't really seen much of him. But um yeah, I had seen Dirty Dozen. He's fucking terrifying in this fucking movie. Like, I, it makes sense that, uh, Tarantino called him out so early in his career because yeah, he's definitely an all timer for uh, tough guys, especially just seen from this. So, I mean, that coffee scene with Debbie is brutal. Like this is early fifties, which, you know, obviously much more tame in terms of violence. Uh, you know, this is not going to hold a candle to drag across concrete by any means, but, uh, (laughs) for the fifties, uh, the coffee scene is a pretty, uh, pretty rough.
0: I mean, if you think about it, too, it's just so shocking because as much as Gloria, like you said, she's not like evil. She's no, just no. trying to find her way too. she found herself uh, entangled with the wrong people. And, you know, she's she's not well, she's innocent. Seduced, in that, she's seduced you know?
1: by money. That's a lot yeah. of trade of her character. Right. And she, but she also kind of recognizes that, like, yeah, he probably could aspire to something more than just, uh, you know, hitching myself to like the money and where that comes from
0: especially as it escalates and she starts to see more and more danger and uh how lee and marvin is more and more of a live wire i mean every time somebody brings something up even when the cop comes over and he's like well we can make this problem go away right now like you know he's just constantly talking about murdering people he's constantly saying like "I, you know i'm I, i'm i will do anything uh for us to get on top here and that's the scary thing about him is he's a live wire. So you don't know, like he's shown you that, you know, you don't know what to expect next. And that's very true. As the movie goes on, just all, like you just mentioned the coffee. I mean, that's the biggest scene with him where you're like, Holy shit. He just did that. And he just did that to beautiful Gloria Graham. Like, Whoa. Um, And then it like the, I, I'll just throw some money at it and it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? It's like really, really, uh, lack of care or concern for anybody and that's what makes these characters so scary to me
1: i mean i love the scene so they're at the bar and uh he roughs up some random girl and glenn ford steps in um and lee marvin definitely just kind of scurries with his tail beneath uh between his legs uh because he's just he he doesn't want to uh, challenge Glenn Ford in that scene right then and so he just walks over to the girl like he cut her hand or something like that he just gives her some money he's like oh no hard feelings doll and then he just like scurries out of, the, uh, out of the bar it's just very telling it's like he's like a tough guy but he's also uh Kind of a pussy but then he's maybe just kind of playing that because he knows eventually he's gonna like do something more extreme like maybe go after benny's daughter which yeah
0: i think that's more likely i think he's yeah. more calculated than that i think he knows i gonna cool it out here this isn't the place but so he's know. smart
1: enough to not make a scene in that like moment because obviously right. you know that's a trait of like a psychopath is that you can't you know <laughs> if somebody embarrasses you or something like you're going to explode at that moment and uh it, it, again that's just like it's kind of it doesn't really like it's not the driving force of why you're watching the scene it adds to the plot but it's more about like uh how the characters are reacting to everything that's going on and you just yeah. spend time with them and so it's it's that's why it's i could tell this is uh going to be one i would love to revisit uh, over the years
0: well i love to hear that yeah i know sometimes you know these films like you said they can be a little convoluted they can be a little hard to follow the story um
1: well, just thrillers in general, uh, can be solely focused on the plot and nothing else, which doesn't add anything to like rewatching a movie years later. I don't think Yeah, it's the characters that, uh, you actually want to spend time with. And then, like I said, you know, just pre pre seventies movies just felt different. They were just more, um, uh, uh focused on the plot for one, uh, less on the character and, um, Uh, still kind of finding their way with a lot of movies, especially uh, in the noir genre that was uh, certainly one of the most innovative in uh, in early Hollywood.
0: I mean, and again, thinking about like the world at the time, right? As I always mention, what was it like in 1953? I mean, we're talking about post-war booming. You know, the world was actually pretty nice at that point. And a lot of people were successful and happy that, you know, we're not in war. So having a film come out like this, that's so kind of like brutal at times as uh, it must have been shocking for audiences to see.
1: Um, Glenn Ford. So was Your new human- favorite actor. He's one of my new favorites uh, uh, of the old school Hollywood. Uh, was Human Desire, the movie that you were re- referring to earlier? Uh, maybe not. No, Because I saw, so I watched the quick thing. For, that's another Fritz Lang movie uh, with uh, Glenn Ford and Gloria Graham. And I think it was a couple years before this, I think. But i saw i not I've not seen that I'm not familiar with it but um
0: yeah. i you know I just can't remember the title it could be uh okay. Gunford kind of plays like this like um uh, was it, it I mean, was Gloria
1: Graham too was yeah and
0: Glenn them? Ford plays this I'm kind of like uh um He's on the railroad somehow. Um, I only saw it once, but again, I, I'm sure somebody out there is listening to this and like, you dummies, it's this, it's this. because um, the, the movie no. is fantastic and the fact that I can't remember the name is kind of stupid, but yeah
1: uh, Human desire, 1954, so it's actually after uh, big Feet, A Korean War fat returns uh, to his job as a railroad engineer. Okay, that's he it. involved in an affair with a co-worker's wife following the murder on a train.
0: That's a fantastic film and you'd love it. And okay. it's, it, it. Gloria Graham is like, Ooh, sensational in it. Yeah.
1: So that's, uh, Fritz Lang as well. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, Fritz Lang is obviously one of your favorites of all time. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm sure the audience has been picking up on that.
0: Well, that's what I mean. Um, like, think about it. We watched Metropolis. What a different movie than, you right, know, right. fast forwarding to the fifties here. Um, wow. You know, what a career.
1: So I was talking to, uh, a co-worker and he actually was mentioning um a later version of metropolis that i have not seen maybe you're familiar with it it's like an edited version with uh music added into it it was something that does it yeah, sound familiar I, yeah uh
0: so uh, from what i've read uh, just from the criterion modern edition, music i should say yeah. yeah from the criterion edition i believe um, they had to find a bunch of like old cut scenes. So when it came out, I think it was very controversial, um, and then also too long. So they had cut it up. Like the, so, the original like theatrical version was never seen. Like again, pretty soon after it aired, they got rid of like a, a lot of the movie. And so the version you see on Criterion today is actually the version with all of the wherever they could find the old reels, they put in the the film. Uh, that was cut. So I don't know, uh, somewhere in there, they did score it with like a new modern um, score. And I know like it's been shown just like, you know, we talk about going to see a movie with like an orchestra and stuff like that. But um, I'm, I'm I'm sure there's been multiple versions of that. I don't think there's one that was actually like, you know, definitive. Like, I, I mm-hmm. guess the one that's on Metro- the Metropolis that's on... Uh, criterion now is like the one that's trying to be as close to like Fritz Lang's original vi- vision.
1: Mm. I think he was mentioning something about with like modern music, like the band Queen. Uh, this is like a completely different version of a movie. Like, a oh, I, I don't know about that. That doesn't sound good? Okay, no. so I gotta check this out, then. I mean, he was mentioning there was a um, a different version um, with like like modern bands uh scoring it um and so they sounded really cool and like i said like uh we watch we love loving the troubles when we watch the original versions um i'm definitely going to be interested in checking those new ones out but yeah um switch m like you mentioned we watched uh obviously you love human desire but then so, yeah, Glenn Ford in both of these, like, he really has become, like, one of my favorite, like, old school actors. Like, his physicality, he was the best puncher uh, uh, for actors back then. He, he's so good at punching people in the, in the several movies that I've seen him in. Yeah, terrific. Like this, uh, this and um, um, 310 to Yuma. Uh, he's just, he had such a cool physicality while being, like, in every man in the best possible way.
0: It's like the thing about like a lot of these actors going into like Westerns and stuff is cause like, where else do you go from the film noir? Like when you're punching your way through the scenes, you know, it's like, you gotta be a rough, rough and tough kind of tumble guy going to Westerns.
1: (laughs) He's just a duster. Oh, I was thinking, I haven't seen it for a minute, but uh, Hobie Doyle in um, uh, the Coen brothers movie just gave it my name. Wait, that's Glenn Ford. No, no, no. I'm just like the old school Western actor. Um, Mind am I forgetting the name of the, the Coen brothers movie about the old, uh, old Hollywood?
0: That's oh, um, hail Caesar. Hail Caesar. Yeah. Hobie
1: Doyle is one of my favorite, uh, Coen brother characters of all time. Uh, him just being like a, a duster as they call him, uh, a Western, uh, movie actor. He just represents the, um, simplicity of some of the actors that got uh, pushed into that.
0: Oh man. That's awesome. There's a, um, place over here in L.A. I uh, just kind of heard about this there, and I always see it. It's got like a, an old school kind of like wagon trail and it's called Gower Gulch. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, oh, Gower Gulch, it's like, like a little shopping center or whatever. Um, from what I've read, that's where a lot of old actors used to hang out and they would get uh, picked up for like Westerns and stuff like that. So they called it Gower Gulch, like a bunch mm-hmm. of people would just like hang out. It's kind of cool.
1: Uh, I'm going to go hang out there with my cowboy hat on this weekend, You would be so. perfect with that beard. I mean, for sure. <laughs> look, look no
0: further than Patrick McIntyre, Hollywood, whenever you start working and hiring actors again,
1: that's my, uh, that's my laziness. Just letting the beard flow up. It's crazy. It's <laughs> getting ready for a trim, man. This, this past week, this, having a beard that. is great, but man, not when it's 115 degrees out. Man. Yeah. But it's, 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 like it's, it's brutal, cooled man. down since. Yeah. It's like, what oh. is it in Chicago now? It's beautiful it was like 70 yesterday uh went out uh walking and hiking all day actually so
0: it's like Uh, 97 today. Uh, here in la i think maybe this is going to be the last week of it but you know it's been hot that's why that hurricane i mentioned at the top uh was kind of a nice reprieve for everybody it was like oh you know finally i could turn my air conditioner off
1: so cool um all right there was a line referring to glenn ford's character Uh, that was pretty telling that I wrote down Uh, you're on a hate binge you can't set yourself against the world and get away with it and I feel like that kind of really sums up like what the motivation of the character was and what he was doing and the whole time and um, him really kind of grappling with himself with his actions but again not necessarily um, thinking everything through and seeing the harm that it was doing to other people
0: yeah that's a sums it up right there with what we were talking about with what ebert had mentioned in his review of the film um yeah i don't know this this film definitely resonates like i said it kind of expands and spans time uh to be kind of current feeling um and also just the idea of going up again like let's set aside like whether it's right or wrong or whether you're harming other people by doing it but the sheer um ability to look at something that's wrong and without a care in the world go head first into that uh what's right what what you feel is right um you you know like again he didn't really question anything he just is like this is wrong and here i go but uh these days a lot of people don't even do that. You know, a lot of people are afraid of these things to stand up to anything. And I think this is why it's going to be age old through history. Um, when things are wrong in the world. Um, and it seems like there's a superpower in front of you. What do you do? Do you just cower and accept it? Or do you go against it? And that's, I think the thing that audiences loved about Glenn Ford's character is that, yeah, there's some casualties of war here, but you want to see him, uh, You know go and get the bad guy
1: perfect yeah you want to see him uh stand up for what's right but then yeah like um power is not that simple uh as you mentioned in in the real world and in movies and and again why that's uh this is a probably be a perennial uh story
0: for sure i mean uh i think this is a nice perfect package for this film i mean Obviously you loved it. I loved it too. I feel like audience or people listening to our podcast need to go out and just watch this film. There's not really much else to say other than like wonderfully directed by Fritz Lang, great story um, and easy to follow with great characters and great character development. Uh, if you like film noirs, this is at the, this is a pretty much the one of the cream of the crops in, in my opinion, and it'll lead you into getting excited about more film noirs and more films in that genre um i really don't have too much else to say about the film other than i'm glad you really liked it
1: i mean do you think it's uh still popular uh today uh like how many like do you think it's it's one that's pretty well known i mean it is amongst noir but like a casual moviegoer it feels like maybe just a little bit more familiar with it not necessarily seen it well, I suppose, is, hey, is, I, I
0: suppose we'll see about when uh, I look at the st- statistics of our podcast and see how many people actually wanted to listen to this episode um, sometimes That's true, I feel like me. sometimes
1: that's a gauge but not always uh, yeah, I, I mean yeah. yeah, it's
0: hard to say right. uh, it's a good question but it's hard to say I, I feel like I've talked about in the past, like if there's not people like us or other podcasts or other people like this is on the uh, film register that was for preservation I believe um, and it's an important enough film in the history of film that, you know, artists and um, historians want to protect it. So I know that that is a good thing, you know, for a film like this, but whether or not like the audiences are remembering these films, that's a, that's why we're doing this because I, I, I don't know, like we talked about in the Elvis episode we did, like would people remember Elvis if people weren't continually like pushing his brand and making sure people knew about him? Yeah. Probably not
1: yeah i mean it's largely the dialogue and the tone that is indelible and our uh um the vibe that it gives like the uh banyan being the detective going in and talking interrogating people it's like that's such a a common trope that's like that was like immortalized with movies like this but maybe necessarily the movie itself isn't always remembered so i'm watching it and i had to i immediately thought of uh leslie nielsen and the naked gun
0: Um, yeah yeah like so
1: i googled the bribe scene uh it's in the first movie he's like he's interrogating a guy on the dock right after uh norberg is murdered and it's the one where he's like trying to get information from him they keep on passing money back and forth and it's just watching (laughs) watching that scene and just the vibe of the two of them driving interrogating the guy it's so it was it was almost like an imprint from the big heat it's like the scenes are 10 times funnier now that like i've seen the big heat and obviously i've seen movies similar to it and the vibe from it and and what the naked gun and Leslie he was got going for that but like putting it back uh like side by side it makes it 10 times funnier
0: well and that's the thing is like you know to be able to do a comedy like those uh that are pulling from like a film genre that is so specific like it's got all of those things these great like quip like lines and and all those things but to be able to do the comedy like that in a way that is just perfect is that that's an art in itself and that's why we love leslie nielsen that's why we're talking about leslie nielsen all the time
1: oh the best um yeah, I mean, so my closing uh, thoughts, uh, obviously loved it. Uh, I'm going to definitely check out more of Gloria Graham now. She is fantastic in this movie. But um, I did watch a little thing from Fritz Lang um, on this on the Criterion channel. Uh, this is currently on the Criterion streaming channel. Uh, and he had a quote, a uh, quick line at the end of one of his um, little short essays. And he was talking about, like, how to end movies and just the idea of filmmaking in general. And the the quote is, everything is permitted except to bore your audience. Mm. (laughs) And that's just his take on filmmaking. And it's never been uh, so perfectly put. And just like what I've talked about before is like, it's so perfectly captures how I feel about film. It's like, there is no good. There's no bad. It's not necessarily high art or low art. There's just entertainment and being boring is the worst thing a movie can be. And so it's just, I loved hearing him have that quote. And, and it it's so makes sense in terms of his uh, filmography, but then also just his thoughts on, on what film should be also.
0: Yeah, that that's great. And actually doing this podcast has helped me to kind of loosen up my, um, nose in the air uh <laughs> cinephile a little bit you know because like for some reason just like anything in life you kind of like think oh that's the way you're supposed to be if you're like a film fanatic like you're supposed to know everything must be a know-it-all about every film from every genre from every you know and it's really no it's just like are you a fan of the movies and why do you like them you have a different like take on a lot of different movies that i wouldn't have like given a second look at but then when we watch them and we discuss them i'm like wow that's uh one that i shouldn't have turned my nose at you know
1: yeah uh i mean yeah everybody knows that i have i have a i mean uh i love all film but obviously I have a huge uh soft spot for horror in the sci-fi genre but those are the movies that just age the best because um because they're more about the aesthetics and they are largely the conduits to like shit that you couldn't really talk about or make movies about back in the day. And so you just had to be like more nuanced with a lot of the stories. And there's just so much to it that just ages well, which is another reason why like film criticism is always something to take with a grain of salt. It's like, when you look back at like what people talk about movies, uh, you know, 56 years ago, often wrong, often missing stuff and, and, and movies just continually prove themselves if they're of value. Um, over the years and we just gained uh more credibility
0: well to segue, so thank you, guys, uh, everyone out there, for listening to our conversation on the big heat. This is the moment when Pat and I turn it over and talk a little bit about our lives and what we're consuming and you know what we're enjoying. So uh, we like to discuss a little bit of that at the end. And I just wanted to bring this up because I meant to talk to Pat about this on the phone. Uh, we talked briefly the other day when um you know of course my schedule was chaotic and we couldn't do the episode on the date that we wanted to and then pat calls me the next day and he's like uh, oh you know what my internet's out so we had to juggle around a little bit but the one thing missing in those conversations was that i have got back on the mission impossible train oh yeah and i know that you're gonna like this so look i'm into it i fucking love tom cruise you know i do i have such a newfound respect. and I, that's another thing I think I've learned from you a little bit is to like not judge people so much for like what you hear in the tabloids or what you hear in their personal life. Like, are they making awesome art? Yeah. Tom Cruise <laughs> is making kick-ass art. Um, and I just love everything he's doing in those films. Now talking again, does it need, like they're exciting because like these action scenes in these films are awesome. They're kick-ass. There's no, you, no one can deny it. The problem with the films for me is like, they are convoluted there's no the story sucks usually you know uh even they definitely it's the same
1: story every movie is about tom cruise going rogue even though they finally name one of those like i think rogue (laughs) nation every movie is the exact same thing it's like he gets fucked over by the imf or whoever who's in charge and he's got to go solo that's the same plot of the every single movie but and he's got it, his
0: g- nice cast of characters he can yeah, call on, yeah, exactly. you know, is his, his tried and true, and um, yeah, I, I so again, you know, that's <laughs> fine because it is what it is, and when you know that, it's like okay, you're signing up. Like we just watched, um, I think we're almost finished with the one before the one that's in theaters, uh, which is I think Rogue Nation, right, uh, 2018.
1: Oh, uh, that's Fallout with uh, oh, uh, Fallout. Henry Cavill, which that's my number one. I think
0: so, dude. That scene in the bathroom. <laughs> okay, so but we're not finished with it yet. that's the so no uh, that's the,
1: the loading uh, of Henry Cavill's uh, arms. It looks like he's loading his arms uh, to get ready for punching, like he's loading guns or something.
0: Oh shit! I have to watch that yeah. again. But that's oh, it's, that's a thing. that's a
1: famous gift But you'll definitely oh, it recognize it. It just looks like he's loading guns, but he's just getting his fists ready to get punching. So yeah, Oh man, Cavill know, is been... so perfect in that movie. I love it's it. such an interesting
0: pairing too between the two of them. You know, yeah. um, but then anyway. uh the one before that is the one in Dubai and he's like running down the fucking skyscraper. And my girlfriend was like, literally like had to leave the room. She was just like, so blown away. She's like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Like we just were <laughs> loving it, you know? Um, so yeah, I'm back on the train. Uh, do I think that the movies are great as far as story and stuff? Not a chance. Do I think they're amazing because of what Tom Cruise is doing? Yes. And they're so worth watching just like a, like a full on marathon. That, what 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 could be more fun? You know,
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to hear you say it because, like, you said you had never seen any of them before a couple weeks ago, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I've seen – did I see the original? I'm pretty sure I saw – I may have missed the first one from theaters, but I've seen two and all the subsequent ones in theaters as it came out. So, it's like like, I've watched all these movies, like, growing up. So, it's like having that – revisit those characters uh, it's I guess it's just a little different than if you're like binging all six of them over the course of a couple of weeks and you kind of have a different vibe from it uh because yeah if I was doing the same thing I'd be like this is the same movie each time and the plot doesn't make sense for any of them so <laughs> but again it's like it's a long it's a friend it's a hangout franchise like we're saying yeah. it's like you're just yeah. hanging out with these characters uh you're always reliable to see Tom Cruise and Ving Rhames uh got his back each time so
0: <laughs> and uh Simon Pegg as well Let's Let's just be honest here and and say this um and I'm the one spoiler I'll give away tom cruise doesn't age in the entire um film trajectory i mean that guy like you said before he's an
1: alien i don't understand it said Scientology man maybe there's something to it and help i, know. <laughs> it's I a lot to make everybody fun of it, but there's a lot to make fun of it, but uh, I don't know. He keeps on; uh, his entire life is that kind of a uh, uh, proof for it. So maybe.
0: Well, look. Regardless of what you feel about Scientology, uh, you could just watch those films and think like, "Well, maybe I should join Scientology." <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. right. <laughs> if I could be like Tom Cruise, you know. Uh, anyway, it's, uh, I digress because I, I'm not going to do that, um, and I don't suggest anybody do that. Uh, we don't talk about religion and politics here, really. Uh, so. The one thing about the ending of this with, well, yeah, we do sometimes, Um, (laughs) but the one, the one thing uh, um, to end this though, on mission impossible is it does everything that you want from um, art. Mm. We had great conversations about it and that more and more is in my mind. Like what is the value of art? What is the value of art? It's just like, I go and I go to a museum, I go and watch a great movie, I get to talk to a like-minded person or somebody who has a different feeling completely, and we get to have a great conversation in the human, that's such a human thing to do, and that is the value of art. And without it, if you don't have anything to talk about with that stuff, like how boring is life?
1: Uh, It's pretty fucking dull without it, I would say. Yeah that would be yep. my vote you know luckily i haven't experienced that you know so that's why i'm grateful for my life but uh man couldn't agree more so
0: yeah
1: amen right. to tom cruise
0: moving on from what uh i've been watching have you been watching anything cool
1: okay so yeah i've been texting you all weekend about the uh, texas chainsaw massacre so i got into re-watching some of the movies um because i started playing so i'm not a huge gamer I play some sometimes but um Texas Chainsaw Massacre the game came out uh last weekend and it's an asymmetrical horror game uh it's kind of similar to the Friday the 13th that came out uh 5 10 years ago and it's fucking fantastic. It, I played it on PlayStation 4. I haven't upgraded to PlayStation 5 again, I, you know, I play too much, but uh this game is fucking crazy good. Like I haven't played uh, a video game this much uh probably since I was like 13 or 14. Wow. Um, I'm sure I'm not going to keep it going. It's just been a week of uh checking out but like it's largely because of how much I love those movies. I mean the original I watched when I was 12 or 13. It's like a pivotal. I remember seeing it for the first time. I could tell you all the details of that afternoon because it like just hit me at a young age like so hard. Like this is the craziest fucking movie I've seen uh, in my life at that time. And uh, I've loved it ever since. I love Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 with Dennis Hopper, an absolute eighties classic. Um, and so those movies have always been very special to me. So I was pretty excited to play the game. Like more as like a, a fan of the movie. And, um, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, it, it, you definitely don't have to play it. If you're not a gamer, maybe just check out the YouTube video, kind of get a vibe of it. Cause again, if you like the movies, the game is so faithful to the movies. It's, mm. um, So it's essentially, it's all online. You have seven people, you're playing with other real people online. It's not like AI or anything. And you're either a victim or one of the family members who are hunting the victims. So it's a three versus four, uh, match and you're either trying to survive as a victim or just murder the victims as the family. So it's pretty, um, on point with like the vibe of all the movies and down to so many details, they pull from, um, the entire franchise. Uh, it's, Highly recommend it if you love those movies, but uh something very cool to check out if uh maybe just on YouTube if you're interested in what they did with that. And it's uh the asymmetrical vibe like i said they made a friday the 13th game like this five uh ten years ago and um i believe they're going to be doing one with uh, killer clowns from outer space uh in the next couple of years so that might be the one that gets you uh into the gaming uh, yeah world. you know i don't so, game
0: but i'll tell you yeah. what like i uh, went to universal horror nights for the first time last year and they had mm. the killer clowns exhibit uh and Ota- oh, yeah. or whatever the the horror um you know haunted house and my girlfriend had never even seen that film. She I, she doesn't like horror, so like you know, it's tough for me because you know I yeah. love I love this shit, just like you do. Like I'm you know geeking out here, and you talk about the game, and yeah, I would probably pick up a PlayStation just for that. I've never had a PlayStation in my life, right. but that sounds awesome and then also like killer clowns just going in that haunted house they were so faithful to every little detail like you'd walk through the cotton candy you know and all that stuff and then like they'd shoot you with the water guns and you go into the room and it's got like uh, Mooney with like the hand behind him and he's like the dummy dude <laughs> like the actors too it's, it's so great out here because everybody is so you know they're all actors it's all on point so yeah. I love that I, I, I love that there's a killer clowns game I think recently the licenses came up or something so they been doing a lot more with it
1: it might be i mean i know the kyoto brothers the directors of that movie uh the special effects guys they did so many special effects movies uh special effects four movies that we grew up on but they directed killer cons outer space i know they've mentioned uh rights issues as a reason why there's never been a sequel or anything to killer cons from outer space which yeah i don't know like i'm i'm fine with it just being it's it's a special thing and never being you know I mean, we, we we love franchises here obviously you know like the halloweens and the friday yeah. 15th and texas Chancellor masters i love franchise but like it is. I'm okay with it just being a thing, uh, a single movie that is just uh, set in stone and uh, not tainted by any other sequels or anything. So,
0: um, it's such a great movie. I mean, everybody out here listening to this that likes any anything horror knows that that movie is special. And so, I agree with you. Uh, however, I wouldn't uh, not see a second Killer Clowns movie if it. That's did come I, out. That's
1: why I'm on the fence. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't need it, but I would be there first day for it. Yeah. um okay but yeah back to the texas Chainsaw and masters so yeah i was revisiting some of the uh i'd never seen three that's the one with vigo mortensen and uh he's uh have I. he's pretty fucking badass in that. that one's an okay movie uh and then four with matthew mcconaughey and radey zellweger that's so I, I remember seen seeing that i remember seeing that one on hbo as a kid uh before the uh, mcconaughey was a big name and um that one's that one's a pretty uh rough one to watch too i mean that's the thing about this franchise it's like there, there's a lot of good movies, but they're not. Uh, I mean, they're mean fucking movies. You know, like a Friday the Thirteenth or Halloween. Those are like, you can watch those, and, and, and they're kind of like fun to rewatch, and because they have a certain vibe, and they're kind of like enjoyable. They have characters and and uh, a score that's like enjoyable. But Texas Chainsaw Massacre since the beginning, it's like that was the entire point of the first one. It's like it's a mean dirty sweaty hot uncomfortable movie to watch and that's like that's, yeah. that's the thing about they've made nine movies uh i think i mentioned eight but uh, there's actually been nine of them and that they keep on trying to do that which works but it doesn't necessarily mean you want to keep on rewatching them because they're so fucking
0: uh, you know dirty house of thousand corpses kind of right. follows that a little bit you know yeah and, exactly um, yeah that's a uh, you're right like let's say that you know, you're gonna dip your toe into horror, you know, or whatever. Like, let's say my girlfriend, you know, doesn't watch any horror stuff, like, okay, I'll watch like something. I would never show her Texas Chainsaw Massacre to start, because that movie would for sure scar her for life, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. so fucked up.
1: <laughs> right. It's yeah. I mean, again, like I still remember hearing the score. Like there was just like the 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 metal grinding at the opening of that movie after the monologue. It's and like just the weird um uh metallic uh vibes in the score like it's just so indelible and again it's that it's awesome but it's not necessarily being like oh i'm excited to watch this movie now it's just more it's so off-putting which is why it's great but like i said it's not necessarily like something you want to keep on revisiting and watching all the time so totally
0: well cool that's great uh so texas chains on mask of the game gotta check that out uh anything else cool or are we getting on to our music picks of the week
1: uh, what have I seen lately? I'll go through. Oh, I got a couple things. Uh, to go I checked out. I saw Old Boy for the first time in theaters. Uh, Park Chan Wook's movie from two thousand three. I'd actually never seen it before. I uh, uh, neither. 2000- have I. okay, yeah, two thousand three movie, the revenge movie. Um, Same year as Kill Bill, kind of a similar vibe. Uh, And I think that's why it's, uh, uh, at least partly why it's been like a cult classic ever since.
0: Or fell under the radar just because that movie was, you know, Kill Bills were so big at the time.
1: Uh, It was also, you know, being a foreign film, it doesn't get uh, uh, as front billing as it would uh, some like Kill Bill. Um, We went to go see Jurassic Park this past weekend. They released it in theaters for the 30th anniversary. Nothing new there other than just one of the best movie going experiences of my life and most people our age. <laughs> yeah. So great nostalgia pick to always see that in the theater. Um,
0: Where are you seeing those at Alamo draft house or music box? Uh,
1: neither. The Jurassic park does just at the, I saw that at the AMC, which gotcha. is, uh, you know, not always my first pick, but uh, yeah. I'll go, I'll go there for the, uh, for an old school viewing like that. Hold on um, to your butts. Oh, God, Jackson's still good. that. I mentioned, talk to me uh i think last episode yeah you uh, did a yeah 24. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so great i'm excited to see it again um i just saw a couple articles come out peter jackson just came out swinging for it he said it's one of the best horror movies that he's seen in, in years and so high praise
0: okay. high praise for exactly
1: the when uh you could take my recommendations with a grain of salt but uh, if you get a horror recommendation from peter jackson it's definitely one to check out
0: yeah speaking of which we got to do the frighteners at some point here real soon
1: I mean, I've been crushing those uh, Peter Jackson commentaries, and, and I haven't. Now that I think about it, I wonder if he did one for Frighteners. I'm going to have to look at that. I
0: uh, have the DVD, although it's in the attic in my brother's house, so <laughs> I can't really check, really check it.
1: We need to eventually figure that out, because I would love to hear that commentary. And then the final thing, uh, physical media corner. I picked up a couple movies uh, entirely for commentary. I'm still on my commentary kit. Uh, first, we'll go with um, Frank Darabont's The Mist, which is a fucking amazing horror movie. Um, Frank Darabont did uh, Shawshank Redemption based on the um, Stephen King short story. Also,
0: a lot of people don't realize Big in the beginning of The Walking Dead was part of the reason that show was even created. But he kind of had a falling out and then was not part of that uh, world yes. for like the next like few seasons after the first or second.
1: Oh, he he didn't continue with it. I know he was no. one of the original creators, or yeah. like uh, show developers. Yeah, there um, was
0: like some sort of uh, issue, and then he left. The but yeah, originally.
1: Oh, yeah! Um, so I'm excited to listen to that commentary with Frank Darabont. I got the classic Cobra, nice one of your favorites, and oh, yeah. uh, commentary by director uh, George P. Cosmatos, who we were recently talking about. as the father of although his name's escaping me, the director of uh, Mandy. So yep. that family is uh, crushing uh, multiple decades with great movies. And then uh, this one is related to uh, William Friedkin, who we d- uh, discussed recently passed away, director of uh, Exorcist and uh, French Connection. This is a underappreciated one. Uh, we were actually just talking about uh, Matthew McConaughey, eh? Killer Joe. Have you ever seen this? No. 2011. So it's from uh, Tracy Let's Play. And this is one of the craziest movies I've ever seen. It's certainly the most insane Matthew McConaughey performance I've ever seen. Uh, directed by William Friedkin, um, one of his um, last movies. And I just I can't recommend this movie enough. It's a kind of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's a dirty movie about dirty fucking people. And so it's not necessarily like one you want to hang out with. But it is so uh, out there And I I just can't recommend it enough. It it is one of those movies that led to the McConaughey sense. It's like him doing these like smaller indie movies and like was having just awesome performances is what led to him being, you know, an A-list actor uh, since then. So definitely excited for that commentary as well. So and if you haven't seen Killer Joe, um, there is a scene. If you have seen it, you know the scene. There is a scene with uh, Matthew McConaughey and Gina Gershon in a chicken leg. And that's all I'll say but it's definitely one of the most insane scenes that's ever been put on film, so.
0: Well, now I got to see it. I haven't right. seen it myself. Yeah, wow. Oh,
1: so good. Love it.
0: I love that you're picking up some physical media again. Is there a place by you that that is selling, like, uh, used DVDs or something?
1: I mean, you know, in Chicago, there's plenty of independent ones. Um, I mean, The Exchange is obviously like a chain one, but uh, Record Breakers is still around in Chicago. Oh, yeah. They're mm-hmm. usually always my favorite Yeah. I mean, their um, music collection, and, and movies even yeah. better, so, yeah. Um yeah, it's been, you know, pretty sparse. I feel like those have resurged kind of like independent bookstores, um, ever since like absolutely the big box stores. Big box bookstores don't really exist anymore. And that's kind of what led to more independent uh, bookstores getting their um, due uh because people want to still go vibe with that. And it's kind of the same thing with uh, movies and music. It's like uh they're not necessarily buying them all the time, but the used stores are I would say th- certainly thriving. Like every time I go into record breakers in Chicago, it's, it's packed. And so people yeah. love going. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, cool. How are you? What do you get? Anything new uh, uh, other than Big Heat? You're loving.
0: No. Yeah. I mean, basically, uh, just oh, enjoying fine. enjoying my some. life and uh, you know doing doing as much art as possible. Um, I do have something going on this week um, that was kind of unexpected, uh, but I kind of anticipated it. Well, I, I knew I was going to be going to the show, so um, it'll run right into my music pick of the week. Um, my friend Chris Mason is going to be in town uh, with his band Ha, ha Tonka. Uh, Had you ever heard of Ha Ha Tonka before?
1: But definitely uh, familiar with the name.
0: Yeah. Uh, They've been around a while um, and they're doing a new record. So my music pick of the week is going to be the, one of their new songs from their new record um, that's coming out in October. So they're on tour right now. And for anybody listening to this, uh, they're coming through Los Angeles and they're going to play at the, uh, I got, I always mess up the name cause I haven't been there yet, but I'm so excited to go. Uh, it's called the house cafe, I believe, or I don't know if that's the one in Chicago or DeKalb or whatever, or if it's the one here uh, or hotel cafe, either way. That's where they're playing here in uh los angeles and of so chris is going to stay with me uh for the for the week that they're here <clears throat> and he's coming in today and i will i'm excited to see my old friend um he's drumming with them so uh my music pick of the week is a song that they have called blood red moon and i really like the lyric i'm you know i've never been like um, super not that I don't like their band. I just they're not super on my radar. They're kind of like a little Americana. So they were on that uh record label in Chicago called Bloodshot Records, which was kind of like um like like you know, like punk rock kind of like Americana songs and songwriters and stuff like that. I think uh, their biggest claim to fame was Ryan Adams, got to start there and Murder by Death was on that label too and stuff. So um, they're not on there anymore. It's more independent. So I really uh, hope that everybody can go and support these guys. They're on tour right now doing what they're due. And they're a great live show. I've seen them a couple of times once at Fitzgerald's in uh, Berwyn there. And they were they day play there all the time. They do this thing called Tonksgiving. And I think they're going to do that again in November at Fitzgerald. So if you're in Chicago you can go see them there. Right now they're on tour, they're doing a bunch of uh west coast dates and they're playing uh Wednesday at that House Cafe, Hotel Cafe, whatever it's called. So the song Blood Red Moon, it's got this cool vibe about kind of like picking up with the person you love and starting new and despite what everybody tells you and I can really relate to that uh with having, you know, 3 2 years ago move to la with uh, a lot stacked up against you you know it's not easy to do that but i think that the song kind of uh gives you that vibe like you know like we're gonna do it and i got you you got me and uh we got that one chance to follow our dreams i love that line it's in the song so blood red moon haha tonka check them out if you're in la come see the show hell yeah
1: blood red moon let's say uh just last year 2022 yeah um are they um you said they're on tour currently or they come through Chicago?
0: Yeah. So they played in Fullerton, California last night and okay. they're um, nice. going to be here. Um, I think just all over the West coast, but they, but yeah, the Chicago show, like I was saying, I think isn't until uh, November when they play at that. Fitzgerald's okay. place. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. Fitzgerald's I actually just r- learned last time I watched league of their own that uh, when they go to the roadhouse in the yep. middle of the movie, that's Fitzgerald's. <laughs> So, it's, it's
0: cool it's cool because yeah. like when you're there you like think about that it's actually kind of nice you know it's yeah. the same they haven't changed that room at all
1: yeah yeah I just uh didn't realize that when growing up but that's a great venue love it um all right awesome love to hear haha Go ha check that out um all right so I've been uh on a huge Merle Haggard kick Ooh. okay yeah and i could recommend tons of his songs but i'm actually going to go with uh, a song uh that somebody covers with Merle Haggard uh and that is the um the Flying Burrito Brothers uh from 1969 uh sing me back home which is actually uh so the Flying Burrito Brothers they had their album The Gilded Palace of Sin in 1969 it's like an alt country uh cornerstone uh for um that vibe i mean just think of like if wilco was making music in the 60s uh that's exactly what the fine burrito brothers were and that's why they were so like innovative at the time um and so their cover uh which i had never heard until recently on my merle haggard kick it's uh the cover of haggard's sing me back home it was recorded in 1969 i think and it wasn't really released as a single anywhere until like a collection like years later so i think that's why i've never heard it so um where do you stand on the flying burrito brothers uh, they've ever been on your radar or that album specifically never no Never. okay yeah so they i mean they've i feel like they've been held back uh from notoriety largely because of how ridiculous their name is uh, <laughs> you, it's just, you hear the flying burrito brothers you're like what the fuck the kind of name is that but yeah. uh again like uh people who um i mean their album i think the gilded palace of sim was like on Rolling Stones, like 500 best albums of all time, originally released that uh, years ago. Uh, So it's uh, especially that album is, um, like I said, pivotal for like alt country, you know, with like, um, you know, Dylan, obviously, with Nashville Skyline, which is one of my favorite albums by him, I think that's 67, just really um, the the combination of um, alternative rock and uh, country hadn't really you know occurred before then so there was like such a new sound at the time and it's obviously a sound like I said with Woko uh that's resonated ever since then and so um yeah the Sing Me Back Home which is the perfect encapsulation of uh their vibe and then especially like with with a songwriter like Merle Haggard who I love um I actually just picked up um, this new biography I didn't realize it was out it's called Hag And I've never read anything about his life, so I'm excited to pick that one up. It's supposed to be pretty good.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, Uh, he's got an interesting life for sure. That's got to be a really good read, I bet. I'm actually interested in that myself.
1: I'm excited for it. Um, So, yeah, I've been enjoying the country music uh, a lot more lately. Felt like it was time uh, to put a little bit more of that on the the playlist. So, see me back home. Um,
0: Flying Burrito Brothers.
1: The Flying Burrito Brothers. I'm telling you, man. Great fucking (laughs) uh, album, uh, despite the name, so... Um, cool. I,
0: yeah. I mean, I actually love the name. Of course, you know.
1: Yeah, I think again. I think it's just like it, I, it's, I feel like it's just a name in conversation that it's easy, easy to dismiss. You're like, this sounds like, <laughs> like a throwaway band or whatnot. Um, sure. Also, listening, uh, the Hives have a new album out. Just want to throw uh, yeah. out i've heard Uh,
0: i haven't listened to any of it but i've gotten like a ton of people being like dude have you heard the new hive stuff i I hear it's amazing yeah
1: i mean i fucking the hives i've been uh i've loved them ever since the garage rock revival uh it was just in the heyday i was in high school you know when the strokes and white stripes and the hives all started playing music so it's like pretty special uh vibe uh ever since my youth and the hives have always been um you know they weren't necessarily as popular as the strokes or uh the white stripes um but they've definitely maintained i mean what's unique about like the, this new album it's called the death of randy Fitzsimmons." i mean it legit sounds like their first album and i mean that in like the best possible way it's like they've maintained their sound uh which some people will say is a criticism of a band you know if you sound the exact same 25 years later not everybody's into that but for a band like the hives I think that's exactly what they should be doing I think that's uh, I think they're on record as saying like that's what we want to be doing is uh, maintaining that uh uh coked out punk inspired garage rock vibe that i fucking love i mean the
0: Um, ramones did it their entire career right
1: exactly you know so and yeah i love all their albums i just re-listened to lex hives and tyrannosaurus hives uh both of those are fantastic and um i've given this one uh two listens through it's awesome you know like i said you know you if you know the sound of, of hives it's uh it's gonna sound familiar on this new album which is uh Incredibly comforting when it's a band you love. So,
0: oh, great. Yeah. I have to check that out. You're the, I think, the third person that's told me, like, yo, you're going to love this shit. So, yeah. Really cool. Yeah.
1: Um, I have not seen them in concerts since 2004, and they're playing here. In november so i'm definitely at a smaller place at the bottom bottom lounge so not, Oh not wow a, that's going to sell j- out dude you
0: probably better get the tickets to that oh it's know. already
1: sold out so yeah uh, I'll, I'll have to get uh, a second-hand ticket but um i caught him at riot fest maybe six seven years ago but it wasn't up close but uh, it'll be fun to see him at like a uh, smaller radio again because i saw him i think i'm pretty sure it was the metro in 2004 and um uh, definitely their live performance if you've ever seen them you know how Uh, energized uh, energy filled it is so nice yeah
0: all right well cool uh i think if there's nothing else to add to this uh, episode i think we've Really had a great conversation about a lot of things, but of course about the, the movie we covered today, The Big Heat. And I, I really encourage everybody who's out there to go and check out the remainders playlist that uh, has all of our movie or music picks of the week. Uh, Patrick has been great about um, curating that and it's on Spotify. And then if you are listening to this uh, on your podcast, uh, pod chaser of choice, know that you can also see us. And uh, we have all of our episodes on YouTube. Or you can go to remainderspod.com, follow us on the socials. Please interact with us and let us know what you think. Uh, lately, it's been kind of picking up a little bit. And then we've gotten a few people talking about certain movies that they've liked. And I, I really enjoy that. I know you do too. It's just, it's nice to see uh, that people are listening and uh, wanting to talk about movies. That's the thing that's so great about working in a movie store back in the day. And we miss that. You know, We used to have our regulars that would come in and talk to us uh, all day long. We'd get nothing done. And
1: it was fantastic. I mean that was the job so yeah. I felt like we got lots done uh doing that so <laughs> yeah yeah
0: so until we can uh one day open up our own movie store together uh we get here every two weeks and talk to movies so appreciate you being here with us everybody uh Pat next time I know we've already got our movie pick uh picked out and we're inching our way to our big number 50 50th episode which will be it's no surprise RoboCop. So we're getting there. Uh,
1: we got a few more to go. 50 episodes, man. It's been a wild ride. Loving every minute of it. Fantastic.
0: (laughs) Me too. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Pat, see you in two weeks. See you, bud. Bye-bye.